0: Okay, Mic check 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2 uh, Yeah Let's get it Okay So if y'all want to get crazy We can get crazy Crazy. Crazy. crazy, crazy. What? Grape or red Red Who drank my apple juice? I, 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 I like to give big round balls to my band Sexual chocolate Please What? One game, one on one For what? It was like his dip just... Talked to me. Baby, please! Please! Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please! Yo! Got the juice now, man. And that's the double truth! Rude, rude, rude! What's up everybody? Welcome, 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 welcome to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passports to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day per wow. Um, I, before we get into the show, before we get into the show today, I just want to say thank you all so much for listening to the show, for being a part of the show. Your comments on Instagram, your thoughts that you've sent in have been all amazing and just so thoughtful and so insightful. And you're really the reason why the show exists. I mean, there is no show, there is no podcast without the audience. So I just want to thank you all so, so much for constantly being on this journey with me and just you know giving your feedback and the films that y'all gave me as suggestions for when I asked for some films to do from your point of view films that you wanted to hear me talk about at the end of last year the suggestions that y'all gave are amazing and I'm so excited to hit some of those coming up and uh yeah just thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you Saywa, greetings from Miami. This week's adventure is in icons and imperfections, and we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of the film One Night in Miami. But first... Let's see what the word on the street is. Yes, yes, Cassius Marcellus Clay is the new heavyweight champion of the world, boy. Yes, he is. and I don't even have yes, a scratch on my face. So, word on the street is a segment that I have only done once, actually. So it's still relatively new. And the last time we did it was actually about the movie that we're going to talk about today, which is One Night in Miami. I talked about this film when it was getting buzz at the Venice Film. Festival, when Miss Regina King was the first black woman director to be part of that festival, which is crazy bananas. 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 But this segment is basically when we're talking about those things. We're talking about buzz. We're talking about things that are upcoming. We're putting our ear to the grindstone, to the the pavement, (laughs) or whatever that term is, uh, to see and to hear what's happening in the world of black film and what's coming up, what we can look forward to in the future. So today's Word on the Street segment is about the Sundance Film Festival. So I went to Sundance in 2019 and had such a great time. Got to check out a bunch of movies and still am checking out movies from that year that have been released since. And this year, as we know, the festival was all virtual. I did not get a chance to take part in the viewing of these films because I had such a busy week the week the festival was happening, which sucks. But I did get to hear some buzz about three black films in particular, which I'm very excited to do a little debrief on. The three films are Passing, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, and On the Count of Three. So Passing is a film that is based on the classic Nella Larson novel about two black women who are able to pass as white. One decides to do so and live her life as a white woman, and the other does not. This film stars Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson, and uh, I've heard buzz especially about Ruth Nega I'm so excited to see her performance in this Ruth is such a great actor I got a chance to be in her presence at St. Ann's Warehouse when she was in a production of Hamlet starring as Hamlet St. Ann's Warehouse if you don't know is an off-Broadway theater in Dumbo, Brooklyn, where I used to work as front of house. And this is an off-Broadway theater where they do lots of new work, where they do lots of avant-garde work. And Ruth was playing Hamlet. Fun fact, Alexander Skarsgård plays her husband in passing. And that is something that I did not know when I saw him at St. Anne's coming to see her in Hamlet. And let me tell y'all, this man, is one of the hottest, most built, tall, beautiful men that I've ever seen in my entire, entire life. Um, So I'm excited to see them work together And this film was just purchased for distribution by Netflix in a very big deal monetarily. So this is one that we will be seeing guaranteed at some point, probably later in the year for awards buzz. But it'll be cool if they let it play at other festivals as well before it gets on the streaming platform itself. So the next film is Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. And this is a documentary directed by Questlove about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which is an event that I had actually never heard of, unfortunately. And I don't know if I should be ashamed of not having heard about this event, but I feel like that is part of the reason why this documentary was made. This is a event that is referred to as the Black Woodstock, and I just can't wait to see it. And I really, really want to see it on a big screen. I feel like, you know, concert documentaries and such are such... They're fine to watch on TV. Like, you know, I've seen Homecoming, a film by Beyoncé on TV, but I've also seen Homecoming, a film by Beyoncé, in a movie theater. And let me tell you, concert docks in a place where you're seeing it on a big screen with big sound, like, that is the place to be. So I'm very excited to see this film. Uh, Quest Love not only won the... Grand Jury Award for Best Documentary at Sundance this year for this documentary. But he also won the Audience Award for Best Documentary. So that's pretty awesome that that still was able to happen while this film is just being streamed on people's computers and televisions, that just shows the power of this film and how great it is, and I'm so excited to see it. And having won those awards and having a name like Questlove behind it, it's gonna get a good deal, a good distribution deal. I'll be very surprised if it does not. And the last film that we're gonna talk about in terms of the buzz of Sundance is called On the Count of Three, and this is Gerard Carmichael's feature film directorial debut if you're unfamiliar with who Gerard Carmichael is, he is a stand-up comedian who is super funny, who has also directed other people's stand-up shows, stand-up specials, I should say. And he also had a really great show, a really great sitcom on NBC called The Carmichael Show. It starred him. It starred Lil Rel. It starred Tiffany Haddish, David Allen Greer, Loretta Devine. I mean, excellent cast. Such a great sitcom. Such a great show. And so this film on the count of three is about two friends played by Gerard and Christopher Abbott. And these two friends make a pact to end their lives before the day is over. So what excites me about this one is kind of the unexpected nature of this one. I feel like comedies like this with such a high concept, I will say, I will call it a high concept comedy, I think Comedies like this are very exciting because what they often have is opportunity for great screenplays. This film did, in fact, win the Screenwriting Award at Sundance this year, so I hope that that means it delivers in terms of screenplay. And also, this means that there is opportunity for great performance and great directing. I feel like these high-concept comedies, and I'm thinking, you know, comedies that were at Sundance, like Sorry to Bother You, there's just so much more mileage that we can get out of them and so much more experimentation. So I'm so thrilled to see what we get from this movie and to also see what kind of distribution this film gets. So, yeah, I'm really hyped for these three films. You know, I want to see more and more and more black film and more and more and more queer film at Sundance every year. I feel like there was a little less this year and that may be because they are streaming and it's not an in-person festival and it was a lot shorter so that may be part of it but the goal for me is to always see more and more black film at these big festivals and to get these films some more exposure And that's the word on the stream. So since I recorded this segment, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, was sold for $12 million to Searchlight and Hulu. So we will be seeing that film in theaters and in streaming. And this is a doc sales record for Sundance. So big congrats to Questlove on that. And Anna Purna Pictures has picked up on the counter three for distribution, and they picked that up for two million dollars. So congrats to all of these movies for getting these deals. So excited to see them all. So after this little ad, we will get into the nitty-gritty of One Night in Miami You are here for one reason. One reason only. Yes, so let's get into the nitty-gritty of One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami was directed by the Miss Regina King and was released in 2020 last year. And i use a little summary of the film if you haven't seen it. This film tells the fictionalized story of the real night that Cassius Clay, played by Eli Gorey, defeated Sonny Liston to become the heavyweight champ, and the celebration that followed with his friends and fellow icons, Jim Brown, played by Aldous Hodge, Sam Cooke, played by Leslie Odom Jr., and Malcolm X, played by Kingsley Ben-Adir. We follow them through the night as they hang out in Malcolm's hotel room after the fight and the many conversations that these icons have with each other, about each other, and about what's happening in the world around them. This film is based on the play written by Kemp Powers, who also adapted the screenplay for the film, And this film also stars Michael Imperioli, who is in so many black films, which I'm not mad about. I really like Michael Imperioli. I fucks with the Sopranos. Uh, But he's in a lot of Spike Lee films, and he's also in Dead Presidents, among other black films. So... You know, always nice to see him pop up, always nice to see him be like the token white or one of the token whites in a black film. We also have Joaquina Kulakongo playing Betty Shabazz, and I like the way that the relationship between Malcolm and Betty is presented in this film. It reminds me a lot more of what I've actually heard from many accounts that Betty and Malcolm never really had any big brawl out fights or anything they don't have necessarily a disagreement in this film. It's more about Betty's concern for Malcolm and what's happening with him and Elijah Muhammad and what's happening with him and the FBI, you know, concern over her husband's life. And I think that that is such a great way to portray that in basically a couple of scenes. And Joaquina does a lovely job playing Sister Betty. We also have Beau Bridges in this film, who is in one of the opening scenes. I think this opening kind of prologue scene showing all of the men and kind of what was happening in each of their lives and the strife that they were up against in this moment before they were all coming together is absolutely brilliant. I'm not sure if this is part of the play or not, I would have to read the play, but I think it's such a good way to set up exactly what's happening. It's like putting a ball up in the air so that you can hit it later, like you playing tennis. or racquetball or handball or any of those balls. You're throwing it up in the air and then you're hitting it. So in the bit about Jim Brown in the beginning, in this kind of prologue, he's gonna go see a guy in the place where he's from. Jim Brown was from an island in Georgia or like off Georgia. And he goes to see this white guy played by Bo Bridges. They're having a good time. Bo Bridges' character is saying how much he loves and appreciates Jim Brown and his talent and the things that he's done. And that he is proud to be from this island off Georgia because of Jim Brown. And it seems like a lovely conversation, an almost suspicious conversation between, you know, this black person and this white person in this time, this white guy that has a lot of money and shit, and it is because it is suspicious because after all of this praise, after all of this fucking hoopla, when Bo Bridges' character says he's about to move some furniture or whatever, Jim Brown is like, yeah, uh, I'll come and help you. Need some help moving the shit? And Bo Bridges turns around, he's like, Jim, you know we don't let niggers in the house. What? And it's like, Whoa, reality check. These people, and this is still a truth today, these people are so interested in our talent and wanting the things that we can do for them and the things that they can be proud of. But they don't wanna let us in. They don't want to literally and figuratively let us in the house. And this is a truth that Regina knows. This is a truth that Kemp Powers knows. This is a truth that every black person involved with this production knows. And I love that they put this in the movie and that it is in the beginning. We also have Lawrence Gilliard Jr. and Lance Reddick in this film. So you know what that means. When you walk Yes, yes, indeed, we have two niggas from the wire in this film. And as I said before on the podcast, if you don't know, I have a theory, a working theory that um, has been proven so far on the show that at least 75% of all black films will contain at least one nigger from the wire. And what we have here is two niggers from the wire. So my point just continues to live and thrive. And I love seeing these two in this movie, uh... Lawrence Gilliard Jr. is known for playing D'Angelo Barksdale on The Wire. And of course, Lance Reddick is known for playing Lieutenant Daniels in The Wire. Both wonderful characters, both wonderful actors. Love seeing them pop up in things. So a couple fun facts about the film. This film was officially released on Amazon Prime Video on January 15th, 2021, which was Regina King's 50th birthday. Happy belated, Miss King. We love you, and we love seeing you survive and thrive at the age of 50. She was doing a fun little uh, watch Twitter party the day this released, and it was fun to celebrate with her through social media. We also have, a fun fact number two, that the conflict between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X was apparently fictitious, and we will get into that specific argument, that specific battle that is presented in this film a lot during this conversation about it. This argument apparently came from Kemp Power's struggle as the only black writer on staff for Star Trek Discovery and the inner conflict he felt with how much of himself and his black experience to insert into the show. And again, we will get into that. That is a very real struggle, a very real inner conflict and definitely worth having a discussion about. And I love the way that he put this in the film. Third fun fact is that in the original cast of a european production at the Donmar Warehouse in 2016 sope derisu played Cassius Clay and we've talked a little bit about sope on the show when we mentioned the film his house in the get out episode that was the trust and believe Chope is a great actor, and it would be so interesting to see him play Cassius Clay, especially after seeing Eli Gorey's strong portrayal in this film, and also seeing, of course, Will Smith playing him in the film Ali. I think it's a very interesting thing, too, because Chope's energy in the film His House is so wildly different than the energy that it takes to play a person like Cassius Clay. So I think that just goes to show how great of an actor Chope truly is. My first experience seeing this film was on Halloween 2020. I had wanted to see this film through the many film festivals that it played. It was often playing as a spotlight, as a centerpiece at drive-ins in places where I could not get to or could not get to at the time. It did play at my hometown. It played in South Orange at the South Mountain Reservation through the Montclair Film Festival where I was able to see the wonderful film Minari. Check out Minari if you haven't seen it. They were doing a drive-through of this film, but I couldn't see it because we were doing a drive-through at New Fest for another wonderful film called Cicada. So I waited, I scrounged and scrambled and tried to see if anyone was showing this film virtually during the festival run. And thankfully SCAD, the Savannah College of Art and Design was showing this on Halloween as a virtual screening. So I watched it and had such a wonderful experience. I was so blown away by these amazing incredible performances by Regina King's extremely confident and brilliant direction of this film, especially those boxing scenes. Oh my God, the cool things that she does with the lighting and the camera in those scenes. Is absolutely wonderful. And I must say that I've seen this film twice on my television in my room. It's a pretty small TV, and I have been absolutely transported both times. So to be able to have a film that is so great and really puts you right in the scene and To be able to watch this on a TV and be truly transported is just a testament to everyone's talent, top to bottom, working on this film. The designers, all of the production design is amazing. All of the costuming is absolutely brilliant. It's just a great movie. So big ups to Regina, the whole crew. They really did the damn thing with this movie. So, let's get into these aspects of icons and imperfections. Icons and imperfections. So, first of all, when talking about icons in this movie, we must talk about these incredible, incredible performances that are in this movie It is a great thing that the SAG Awards have nominated these four guys. I mean, technically the whole ensemble, but these four guys being the main part of the acting in this film, they were nominated for Best Ensemble for this film, so that is great to see. And Leslie Odom Jr. was also nominated for a SAG Award as well for Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture. So... These performances, I mean, I've already talked about Kingsley Ben-Adir on the show. When we talked about the film Malcolm X in the episode Adventures in Leadership and Legacy, I gave him the You Bet Actor Award because that was right after I saw the movie. And oh my God, I mean, this performance, he really just gives so many layers and so much nuance to playing Malcolm X in a way that we honestly haven't seen before. And Malcolm X has been played by many people, most notably by Denzel Washington. So it's interesting seeing this role played so legendarily Legendarily. by Denzel Washington and then coming and seeing someone who is a younger actor, someone who is a newer actor, playing this role that has been put in the annals of black cinema from Denzel and he really nails this kind of almost physical lankiness that Malcolm X had. You really, really do see it in the documentary Malcolm X, which I also talked about in that episode with the Spike Lee film. There is a certain kind of youth in a way that Kingsley brings to this character, which is in a way not surprising because he is a younger actor, but kind of getting to see these moments, right, where The guys are fucking with him. What really comes to mind is the scene where they're all up on the roof. They're really just trying to get a breath, trying to get a break from being in Malcolm's hotel room. And they want to get some fresh air. So they all go up on the roof and they're having a good time and everything. And someone takes Malcolm's camera and they start throwing it to each other and like fucking around with it. And Malcolm just gets so scared and almost like a kid in a way. And it's so funny to hear them call that out. They say, Oh, now you drop the voice. Now you drop the affectation. Because, you know, we are so used to seeing Malcolm X in activist mode, right? We are so used to seeing Malcolm X giving speeches. We are so used to Malcolm X being this beacon of the civil rights movement and being a voice for our community that we really don't know what it was like to kick it with malcolm x and this film gives us that and kingsley's excellent performance also gives us that so snaps and claps for mr kingsley ben Adir. Another performance that is so good and that has also been played before by other actors is Eli Gorey's performance as Cassius Clay. I think it's so interesting, again, to kind of look back on Will Smith's performance as Cassius Clay, who later became Muhammad Ali in Michael Mann's film, Ali, And again, so interesting to see a younger actor and a newer actor portray this role. I think Eli so perfectly captures Cassius Clay's youthful energy. I think at some point, Jim Brown, played by Aldous Hodge, calls him a big baby because he's just so celebratory and so all over the place, jumping up on the bed, you know. And at the same time, we're also seeing... Cassius Clay's struggle, his internal struggle, to whether he wants to join the Brotherhood of Islam and become a Muslim. And this is also a struggle that Malcolm talks a little bit about in the autobiography of Malcolm X. And also, I think in order to play Cassius Clay, you know, you have to have that same energy of being the greatest because he was the greatest. You have to have that energy and you have to have us believe that you have that energy the same way that Cassius Clay believed that he had that energy, which is not easy to say that I'm the greatest and believe it with such conviction and to say things like, I'm so so pretty with such conviction, I think takes a lot. And Eli absolutely steps up to the plate and brings us a wonderful, wonderful performance. Interestingly enough, I think he captures the way that Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali was in the ring. But I think besides his haircut, he doesn't really resemble him as much as Kingsley does resemble Malcolm X in a lot of ways. And But physically, oh my god. The scenes where he is boxing give him to me. The scenes where he's training give him to me. I love the way that they drop the title of the film into the pool while Muhammad Ali slash Cassius Clay is taking the photos underwater of him boxing underwater. Uh, Just that body. Give me that body, please, please. So in speaking of people who are kind of resembling their likeness, and it's so funny because this morning I just saw a video of them together, uh, probably from the 60s, I think this video was, and they're working on a song together, uh, Cassius Clay and Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke, as you can see, like me, he's awful pretty. (laughs) And we are here now working on a record called The Gang's All Here and uh, uh, Sam and I, we expect to have this out in another week or so. Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? Well, uh, this, I want to give you a little introduction. Only this record is uh, uh, talking about, uh, uh, you know, me, the greatest, and uh, the various people in countries such as England and Paris. And uh, uh, we'll uh, give them a sample. Come on, up. let's give them a preview. Do you, we'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. We're going to do, do We're trying. Now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here. Join in the fun. Hey, <laughs> Hey, the game's all here. We're gonna swing as one. Do it again now. Now it's interesting because when I first saw this movie, I was definitely blown away by how Leslie Odom Jr. is able to embody Sam Cooke in terms of his singing voice specifically. I think it is an incredible feat and near the end of this movie actually the final scene of this movie when i first saw it when he's singing a change is gonna come on second viewing of this film i was blown away by leslie's performance actually you know sometimes i forget how versatile he truly is as an actor. You know, the only things I think I've really seen him in off the top of my head are Hamilton, which he's very good in, I will say. And though I have some issues here and there with Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr. is undeniably excellent in that. And he is also excellent in this. I think he gives Sam Cooke so many great and wonderful layers. I think that the scenes in which he's fighting with Malcolm X Essentially, what you really get here, again, going to use another sports metaphor. Who am I? Sports what? But we are talking about two athletes in this. So, you know, I'll give myself a pass on talking about sports so much. But essentially, what we're getting here is kind of a ping pong match between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. You know, we are getting these two viewpoints of different ways to approach being a black person in the public media and because Kingsley and Leslie are so good in this movie what you really get is a lot of empathy on both sides and from Regina's side too and from Kemp's side I think we're dealing with a lot of artists who have empathy and who know how to deal with this subject and this battle so that The audience is kind of the ball between the two of these actors and the two of these characters playing ping pong. You see both sides very clearly and you're transported to both sides in a very clear and clean way so that you truly understand where both of them are coming from. Again, I will get to the specificities of this battle that they have throughout the film, it largely being the central conflict of the film. And last but not least, we have Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown. Now, Aldous Hodge, in terms of film, is probably the most well-known of these four actors. He was in Invisible Man, great movie. He was in Clemency, great movie, great performance in that movie. And he was also in Misha Green's show before she did Lovecraft Country called Underground. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Oh, he's also in Hidden Figures, too. I mean, he's a great actor. He is an actor that has such confidence and such charisma. He barely has to do anything, and you are just like sucked in. You are just there right with him. He is such an effortless actor, and he's very good in this movie, He is definitely the actor who's getting the least amount of praise, I would say, out of all of them. But on second viewing, I would say that he is definitely kind of the glue that holds everyone together. He's like the glue, like the guardian angel of everybody. Everyone at some moment in this film kind of comes to Jim Brown and confides in them. You know, Cassius Clay comes to him in terms of not being exactly sure if he wants to join the Brotherhood of Islam and give up the things that he loves, especially having this conflict on a night of such celebration. You know, thinking about giving up women, thinking about giving up alcohol, especially on this night is all too consuming, so Cassius comes to him for that. Sam Cook confides in him, as does Malcolm X. So in terms of these imperfections, there are imperfections in these men that are presented in this movie. And there are also imperfections in these men that are not presented in this movie, but that we know historically. So Jim Brown, Jim Brown, first of all, like what an icon in terms of being one of the best players in the NFL, hands down. He was also the first man to commentate a, first black man to commentate a boxing match on television. And he was a successful actor after he left the NFL. At the same time, this man, who this man has a lot of assault and battery charges against him. And this is something that we see a lot with footballers, right? I mean, the biggest example being OJ Simpson. I'm from the sports world. Mm. What we see a lot is these football players playing this very violent sport, playing this sport that leads to a lot of concussions, a lot of head injuries, all of those things combined, and the fact that these dudes are famous as fuck swirl that all together. It really is a cocktail and recipe for disaster. It's really, really bad. And I think something that's interesting when we talk about things like this, when we talk about, you know, Kobe Bryant, when we talk about these icons who did a lot of good for the community, we we're not including OJ Simpson in this conversation. I think something to reckon with oftentimes is these imperfections, especially when it comes to violence and violence against women specifically. I think there is a conversation to be had in which the two things exist, right? We are not saying that these things that they have done that are bad are good or should be erased or are excusable at all. I think when we talk about these icons, we can talk about these things that they've done together. This person did this and they did this. And I think it is honestly up to a person's legacy. If they come forward, they apologize. They encourage us to listen to the person's story. And they encourage us to believe in what these people are saying And they also take action in their life to learn and move forward and to also in that teach other people to learn and push themselves forward. I am not entirely sure if Jim Brown has done that, but Jim Brown is still alive. And the way that he's represented in this movie, they don't get into that because this movie isn't necessarily about that, and I don't think this movie is holding him up on a beacon to excuse any of those things at all. I think this movie is just representing him in this snapshot of this moment. Also, in terms of imperfections, you know, Sam Cook. The reason why Sam Cook is not alive is because he was murdered by a woman who says that he was going to attack her, that he was violently going to attack her. And again, this is a situation where we have to just take the truth of what we have and work with that. I am not on this show right now, right here to take sides about what Sam Cook did or anything like that. I'm saying that this man is dead because he was murdered by a woman who th- was threatened by him violently. And that is the reason, unfortunately, why he is not alive anymore. Again, representing a person who is an absolute legend. I mean, Sam Cooke, the father of soul music. We would not have Aretha, Luther, Marvin Gaye without this man and this voice. Oh, my gosh. And also, he was a very big part of the civil rights movement eventually. And... There's something about his legacy that is so interesting that goes on past and through so many different generations. There is a scene in this film where Malcolm is recalling a time that he saw Sam Cooke performing, I think in Boston, and Sam did not know he was there. And Malcolm was witnessing this performance in which Sam Cook's microphone went out. It forces him, because the crowd is going crazy, they're like threatening to leave, they're doing all this stuff, they're booing, they're throwing things, and Sam has this great idea. What he does is he gets these few women in the front to start doing a, a stomp and a clap, 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 a and that gets everyone else to do it and then he starts singing an acapella version because the band is left he starts singing an acapella version of the chain gang which is such a great song great classic song something about that scene also kind of brings tears to my eyes the way that it's sound mixed because malcolm is saying you know everyone was stomping and clapping to the point where you couldn't even barely hear sam so when they cut to malcolm's angle Leslie's voice as Sam singing is so barely heard, but it's mixed so perfectly. It's just a really, really beautiful, beautiful stellar moment. Great filmmaking on everyone's point. And the Chang Gang, whenever my brother plays this song in his mix on Spotify, my two-year-old nephew will do the ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And it's, uh It brings me so much joy and laughter and heartwarming every single time without fail. So the fact that this man's work has spanned that long is quite incredible. And at the same time, this is an icon that is imperfect. We also have Cassius Clay. Now, Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali... Pretty great person all around through and through. And at the same time, there is still a conflict that is kind of brewed a little bit in this film in terms of Cassius not being ready to necessarily join the Brotherhood of Islam, though he does, and also joining at a time where Elijah Muhammad, who is the leader of the Brotherhood, is very much at odds with Malcolm X, and Malcolm X is leaving the Brotherhood So it's interesting that after the events of this movie, it's so sad because you see them so close. You see Cassius coming to pray in Malcolm's hotel room before the fight. You see how close they are in this moment. And there is a point in their lives where afterwards where they weren't close because Muhammad Ali, as someone who was in the Brotherhood of Islam, couldn't really associate with Malcolm X anymore. And it's really sad, but what's so great about Muhammad Ali is Muhammad Ali at some point was like, uh, fuck this shit, absolutely. I'm going to leave like my homeboy did because y'all are on some bullshit. He finally saw the light about what was happening with Elijah Muhammad and it was some fucking bullshit. And also, you know, what Muhammad Ali did in terms of his legacy, dodging the draft, refusing to go to Vietnam, even though he was drafted, was such a strong, strong statement. Again, this is what I call a positive ripple effect. Like I was saying, in terms of people who do very bad things and... Making amends with that and moving forward in a space and learning from that, and that can be a ripple effect. Muhammad Ali refusing to go to Vietnam was such a great part of the counterculture. His point being, which is a great point, why am I going to go fight a war for a country that does not fight for me and in fact fights against me. The Viet Cong are not my enemy. White people in this country are my enemy. And that created such a great ripple effect of more black people standing up against the war. And that was such a hard thing for him to do. He was not able to box for four years. He lost prime athletic boxing years, standing up for what he believed. And I think that that is absolutely incredible. He lost a lot of money doing that. He lost a lot of endorsements doing that. I mean, and at the same time, it did way more good for us as a community. So thank you so much, Muhammad Ali. I don't remember if I ever got to meet him. My dad, I don't know if I've said before, was a sports journalist who focused largely on boxing. So he had met Muhammad Ali a few times before. I do remember meeting his daughter, Layla Ali, and she was awesome. She is so dope. I have a picture of her with me and my brother. She was really, really, really awesome. And last but not least in talking about Malcolm X's imperfections, I think here's where we can talk about the arguments and the kind of head to head that he has with Sam Cooke in this film. So the large argument being that Sam Cooke is not doing enough for black people, with the huge platform that he has. That is Malcolm's point of view in the film. And I think though it is not a real argument that they had, it's definitely based on how Malcolm felt about other popular artists, about other musicians, about other black actors who weren't as vocal as he was about civil rights, about the rights of black people in America. So the whole argument being that, you know, you've never put any, anything activist-wise into your songs. You just, you know, perform at these venues which, again, was another thing that Sam Cooke was breaking down barriers with, was performing in these places where black people had not been allowed to perform before. And Malcolm is coming at him saying that he's never put any of this in his song. He even goes as far as putting on a Bob Dylan record and saying, this white boy from the country is doing more for us than you are. And Sam's point Being that he is actually doing a lot for the black community, but it is more covert than Malcolm is. He's not up here giving speeches and going to rallies and making himself known in the press in that way. But Sam Cooke's point is that he's running his own business within the music industry and getting black folks money that way and getting black folks further that way which is also a good point. These guys both have really excellent points. It really drives home the question that I think all of us creatives really have is when we are creating, how much of ourselves and, well, we put a lot of ourselves in there, but, you know, how much of Not just our experience, but everyone else's experience in our communities. For me as a black person and for me as a queer person, you know, how much am I going to put in there that is for and about everyone else? You know, Um, and how much of my work will be its own kind of activism, which I do see it as sometimes, you know, I, in my work, I want to create work that is for us by us. I am not one who wants to create work that will educate white people or people outside of the black experience, how to be better to us or what it's like for their point of view. And I do not have the wish to educate straight people on how to be better to us and what it's like for their point of view. I want to create things that are very much empathetic, that when you are a black person, you feel this experience because you've been through it. If you are a queer person, you feel this experience because you've been through it. And people on the outside may feel and empathy as well because these are human characters, but it's not to educate people, you know? That's not what I want to do. And this argument, this battle that happens in the movie has such an amazing and wonderful payoff. It has a payoff in Sam Cooke singing A Change Is Gonna Come on a late night show, and that is how they end the movie And you see the progress of everyone's life at that point. You see Cassius join the Brotherhood of Islam. You see Jim Brown become an actor. And you see Malcolm finishing the autobiography, his autobiography, as he will be killed not too long after the events in this film, as will Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke was not killed too much longer after the events of this film. So to see him sing this song with the payoff of this argument, of this debate, and of all of this great, just great, wonderful setup and Leslie's wonderful performance, it is just a moment that pays off like a big sigh. It's just a release of everything. And you see the impact that Sam Cooke did have on the civil rights movement through his art. And you see the impact that all of these men had on this movement. And it's just, it's just so beautiful. It's such a, such, 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 such a great movie. So in conclusion, this was absolutely one of my favorite films of 2020, hands down. The way that all of the actors are able to bring this snapshot of all of these icons lives to life is absolutely brilliant and it makes me want to see more of these snapshot biopics a film that comes to mind is pablo lorraine's jackie in which he is just exploring the part in jackie's life where she had to plan JFK's funeral and decide on what his legacy was going to be. Excellent, excellent film. Not a black film, but excellent film. Check it out. Great Nally Portman performance. Great score by Mika Levy. And Pablo Loren is also doing a film that is a snapshot on Princess Diana's life that takes place over just a weekend in her life. And I love films like this. This film being just about a day in these men and these icons' lives is just... So great. And it's more interesting and it's more interested in telling the humanity of these icons and public figures rather than trying to spread themselves thin and tell a whole life story it's so much easier to digest and there's so much more artistry that you can get through in movies like this i am so so excited and thrilled to see what everyone involved with this film does next what regina does next as a director what kemp does next as a writer and also a director he co-directed soul which we talked about last week and also all of these actors i'm just so thrilled and excited to see what they do next you know Big ups to Regina King for getting a Golden Globe nomination for Best Director. Big ups to Leslie Odom Jr. for getting a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actor, as well as a SAG nomination. Again, big ups to the whole ensemble for getting a Best Ensemble nomination at the SAG Awards. And we'll see... What happens with the other guild awards as time progresses? But I'm very, very hopeful for this wonderful film to really slay it this year. And One Nine Miami is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video, so check it out. Oh my life I hit. The time has come for this week's You Better Act Award. Yes. So um, if you don't know or if you need a little reminder, the You Better Act Award is an award that I give out every week on the show in praise of a wonderful black performance. And that's like one of my favorite things to do if you didn't notice. Uh, So we're going to do that right now. And this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Lorenz Tate in Dead Presidents. Yes. So... Dead Presidents is a film from 1995 directed by the Hughes Brothers, and Lorenz continues to prove in everything that I see him in that he should be much higher on the pedestal and the conversation when we're talking about the greatest greatest living living actors. actors. You know, what a different character than his portrayal in the first Hughes Brothers film, Menace to Society, as O-Dog, of course, another legendary character, another legendary performance. And this film tells the story of a group of Vietnam vets who hatch a plan to rob a money truck that's basically just gonna burn the money. It is so crazy to see Lorenz Tate transform in every single act of this film, from an innocent high schooler with a bright future in the beginning to fighting in Vietnam in the second act of the film, to seeing what that does to him after he returns in the third act of the film. It is truly, it is such a whirlwind, this movie. And this performance is absolutely just incredible, like... I just don't understand why he is not up there with fucking these white dudes like Bradley Cooper and Leonardo DiCaprio. Like it's really annoying. And he's also way finer than the other ones. This film is based on a true story based on true events. And like most black war films does a much better job at painting the true horrors of war and what happens to black folks After they return, especially in terms of, like I said, with Muhammad Ali and not wanting to fight in Vietnam, like especially in terms of these black men fighting for this country that does not fight for them and fights against them. So definitely check out Dead Presidents. It's great. Great actors in this movie. I mean, we got Keith David up in this movie. And we also have Chris Tucker, I think, giving what I believe to be his finest performance. We may do a nitty-gritty on this movie one day. I don't know. I don't know. We will see. But Dead Presidents is available to rent on Amazon and Apple TV. So in closing, some food for thought... Who are some other historical icons that you would like to see in a fictional piece all together like this film and this play, One Night in Miami? Comment on SFB Society, comment on our Instagram, and follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Thank you all so much again for Being part of this experience and listening to the show, I just love you all so much. And thank you to the team. Per usual, we have Matt Mozzarella on the audio. We have Cindy Edwards, our production assistant. And we have Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Next week, we will be continuing this little streak of very recent films, and I will be getting into the nitty-gritty of Malcolm & Marie, the new Netflix film starring Zendaya and John David Washington. So we'll see about that one. Uh, (laughs) See y'all next week. Per usual, stay safe, stay black, stay blessed, and have a good one. It's over. Great.